0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to be together this morning and to see, I was going to say all of your smiling faces, but to see all of your partially obstructed faces. Hopefully we can see a other smile once again soon. This morning I want to start off before we jump into this part of Habakkuk that George just read for us by just talking about a kind of um, a kind of story that we see a lot in in fiction and nonfiction. That's a big kind of our society. We're we're a big fan of this kind of story. And so I'm just going to kind of describe to you what the story is like. You've heard, I'm sure, many renditions of it before. And I want you to think about um, a couple of examples. And I'm going to ask you to give me an example after. Okay? So so think about just for a second. So so the story goes like this. There's two kind of main people or groups of people in this type of story, for lack of a better way of describing them, I'm going to call them the good guys and the bad guys. So, the good guys, to start the story, they're just kind of living their life, they're, they're going about their own, they're own not really bothering anyone, but the bad guys are, are different, they're, they're out earning their name, they're kind of, they're being mean to people, they're oppressing people, they might be abusing power they have over someone, and they're, they're, they're not good. We might even call what they're doing evil, that's the bad guys. But the story doesn't just stay like that, it's not just a story about one people being oppressed or having bad things done to them. It's a story where the good guys kind of take it upon themselves and they're forced to kind of go and, and struggle and fight against the bad guys and to have some kind of resolution. So there's usually, you know, there could be a battle depending on the kind of story, there could be some kind of struggle and in the end, you know, the good guys triumph and they're rewarded somehow and, you know, the bad guys are punished. And so I think we like these kind of stories because there is, we see there's justice, there's good things done to good people, and in the end there's bad things that are done to bad people. So we really, really kind of like that. So that's kind of the general, the general arc of the story. Are there any stories that you guys can think of that go a little bit something like that, that you might have seen on TV or in a movie or a or any, any thoughts? You can just shout it out. Cinderella? Cinderella's a good one the stepsisters are what do you say jamie marvel oh yeah there's tons of superheroes that are like that for sure those are good ones and lord of the rings lord this is a very good one for sure little hobbits going to mordor fighting the evil lord sound for sure any other thoughts star wars for sure mike had to say star wars Okay, those are are all good. I thought of some of those. I thought on the Disney side, for some, I thought Mulan was a good one, or Aladdin. Even the story of Robin Hood, or if you're an adult, the movie The Shawshank Redemption. I really love this bit of a story like this. So there's a bunch of them. And maybe, maybe one of the kids can help me with this. What do we generally call these kinds of stories? Does anyone know? There's like a label we give them. Any ideas? Adults also can guess. hero's hero's journey for sure but the the one i'm looking for is an underdog story where you have kind of a group that's like oppressed or or not much expected of them they're kind of the little guy and they rise up and win and so i think we really love these underdog stories as a society because they show us something about justice and um in a world where we often when maybe we watch the news at night and we see what looks to not be like justice happening it looks like you know bad things are happening to good people we want to turn on you know, uh, a movie, and see the good guys wins, and then good happen, and we want to see that sense of kind of justice restored. So that's um, that's what we like to see. But today, as we continue on in our series in Habakkuk, um, we're going to see a an instance in the Bible where something happens that looks to us from the outside. It looks like the bad guys are succeeding, and they're kind of beating up on the little guys, and it looks like God is behind that. So leaves us with a bunch of questions like where is the justice in that and what's happening and God what are you doing here so we're going to talk about um some of the questions that Habakkuk has in this passage today and um this is the if you're just joining us today first time this is uh the fourth week of our of our series in Habakkuk we're right kind of in the middle of it um which is called the series is called honest to God in our first message we had a bit of an introduction just to the book um and the series and what was going on when the book was written and our second message, uh, we looked at Habakkuk's first prayer, where God really, where Habakkuk really asked God, um, you know, how long the the current situation he sees going on with injustice and cruelty and all kinds of issues, how long that's going to happen for. And then last week we looked a bit at God's response to Habakkuk, um, which is to raise up these people called the Chaldeans, which we will talk more about today. So today I want to look. Um, I want to do a few things. I want to first just look back briefly to where we are in the book of Habakkuk and its background. Um, I want to look at the things from chapter one I just talked about, Habakkuk's first prayer and God's response. And then I want to look at um, our actual passage for today and what we can what we can take out of it, what we can understand about what Habakkuk is saying in this second prayer and these kind of questions he has for God. And then fourth, I want to look at the assumptions Habakkuk makes, and lastly, um, at the lessons that we can learn from Habakkuk's prayer. So, sounds ambitious. It is. Here we go. Okay, so the very beginning, just a bit of background to back up, because every time I'm here, you have to get a slight history lesson. Um, this, is what's, this is the world, kind of, at the time that Habakkuk is written. And so Habakkuk um, is living in Judah, which you'll see kind of on the bottom left in the map. And this is a time when Israel, as we think of it, has been divided into two kingdoms. So there's this northern kingdom, and there's Judah that's in the south. And so Habakkuk's living there. Um, and this is a time when Egypt, which is obviously a bit kind of the southwest of Judah, is really kind of dominating and in charge of the area. And they've put a puppet king in charge who's, to put it, not a great guy. So a lot of bad things are happening at Judah. There's this foreign power that's kind of in control. Um, and, and things aren't looking, aren't looking great. So that, that's, that's what's going on at the time when this prophecy happens. Um, but what's kind of about to happen and what the prophecy in part is about, is about this big power kind of to the east called Babylon. So, you'll see where it says Babylonia there, kind of in the green, and even says Chaldea down below, and the, the text talks about Chaldea, we'll kind of use Chaldea, or I will, and Babylon synonymously, because they're kind of the same in this period, the Chaldeans were kind of different people, but it's a big long history, it's not worth getting into right now. So, um, so what's important to know is that the Babylonians are kind of on the move in this period. So there's a bunch of green arrows that you might be able to see that go kind of up and to the left. And during this time, they're fighting all these people who are their enemies. So they're fighting and defeating people called the Assyrians and the Medes. And they're going up and they actually defeat... there's a kind of a... It's kind of a... Um, arrow, not an arrow, like a star X thing at the top left kind of at this place called Carchemish. where was a big battle where the Babylonians beat the Egyptians. And after that happens, um, they kind of are the big dogs in this part of the Middle East for lack of a better term, and they end up coming down and they attack Judah three times in the next 20 years. And when I say attack, these are like serious attacks, they, they take over Jerusalem, they ransack the temple. At one point, they take the king and all the royal family away, and there's kind of these three different times in the next 20 years where they come in um, and they remove people and they take people out to captivity in Babylon. So. This is a really big deal, and this is what's, you know, just about to happen when, when Habakkuk is taking place. So that's just the background to what's going on, um, which is important to know. And so what we've already talked a little bit, this is a, this is a bit of um, refresher, is this is Habakkuk's first prayer here in verses 1 to 4 of, of chapter 1, where, where Habakkuk trying out, he's saying, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And he's really just calling out to God and saying, there's all these issues in Judah, and, and when are you going to fix them? And How long is it going to be that you seem to ignore all this going on? So that's his, that's his cry to God. And God responds in a way that I don't think Habakkuk expected, or we would expect if we cry out in frustration to God, And that God says, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And he goes on to describe these Babylonians or Chaldeans. He said they're dreaded and fearsome in verse 6 and verse 9. He says they all come for violence. They gather captives like sand. And then in verse 11, he calls them guilty men whose own might is their God. So, spoiler alert, the Chaldeans are the bad guys. (laughs) And the Chaldeans are the the good guys. And so, this is um, what in our passage today, Habakkuk is really responding to is this this prophecy that God gives them that God's gonna raise up these Chaldeans and bring them on onto Judah and, and it's it's gonna be serious. Like we just talked about what happens is um, you know is these invasions, these expulsions, people going into captivity for a long time. So this is really hugely problematic if you're if you're Habakkuk sitting in Judah and God says this to you. This this is a problem. Um, and this is the opposite of the underdog story. This is like the anti-underdog story. This is like God saying, Goliath, I'm going to send you to go after David. Um, it's, it's kind of the opposite of how we think things should run. So let's jump into then today our passage which, which George, George read for us. So I think there's a huge amazing break because I want to talk first about verse 12 at the top and then 13 and then kind of 14 to 17 together. So the first thing that Habakkuk um, says responding to God in verse 12, he says, are you not from everlasting, O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O oh Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O oh Rock, have established them for reproof. And that's a bit of a. When you read that by itself, it's a pretty calm response. Someone says, "I'm raising up these wicked people. They're warriors." Um, you know, he talks about about what they do to people, and Habakkuk kind of says, "You know, okay." You're God, you're everlasting, you're holy, and you've ordained this. So it's, it's a pretty kind of measured response. But I think between verse 12 and 13, there's a real kind of change in tone. I picture, um, for some reason in my head, I have this picture of like a sitcom spit take, where for some reason Habakkuk is drinking water at this moment or coffee or something, and he, like, hears from God, and he spits in. He's like, what? Like, the Chaldeans? What are you talking about? Why, why would you do that? So, verse 13, he kind of comes back with a lot more questions, and it kind of seems like the reality of this maybe is, is sinking in on him. So, in verse 13, Habakkuk writes, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And so really i mean the base of this question is like god what are you talking about why would you bring the chaldeans here against us like we're your people we worship you yes there's issues here in judah and that's why i'm i'm praying to you but the solution surely can't be you're going to send other people who don't worship you who have all these other gods to come and attack us like that god what are you what are you doing How, how can you do this and um and he sees a conundrum, he does. He, like, there's two kind of parts of to verse 13. And the first part of verse 13, he says, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So that's the first part. He says, God, like, you're so pure, you're so holy, you can't even look at sin, you can't even look at things that are wrong. Like, that's a thing that's true of you. But then he says, why do you idly look at traitors? So he kind of says, you can't do this. And then immediately afterwards says, but you're doing it you're looking at it and you're allowing like these bad guys to come and attack you know your good guys who serve you so how does that work god why, why is that happening and it seems like he's saying to god like why are you doing this thing you shouldn't be able to do and you're doing it to us so that's the conundrum here um we're going to spend a bit of time talking about this morning and so to keep going through through 14 to 17 this talks a bit about again kind of who the Chaldeans are and and what they do and this is Habakkuk talking about them so um, this is Habakkuk starting at 14 to 17 here he says you make mankind like the fish of the sea like crawling things that have no ruler he brings all of them up with a hook he drags them out with his net he gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So we can get a sense of that, that Habakkuk thinks and knows the Chaldeans are bad guys, they're violent, they take people over. Um, But if you're like me, the first time you read this, you're kind of like, why did we go into a bit of a fishing narrative all of a sudden? Um, and, and, And one thought about that is that a bunch of scholars think that there's there's an allusion here to a babylonian god Who's this guy on the on the right with the wings and the jack legs um, named marduk and and marduk is kind of like the top god that the babylonians worship he's the god of the city of babylon and he's kind of behind their whole creation myth so in their creation myth marduk makes the world um and he makes it by being really violent. So he has a net he uses, and he's like, there's a civil war with other gods. He uses it to capture a different god, and then kills that god, and rips their body apart, and uses that to make things like the sky. So it's a pretty violent view of the world, Um, but a lot of that net symbolism in here seems to go back to the way the Babylonians thought about themselves, and about kind of their mythology and their theology. And the way they thought about themselves tells us a lot about who they are. They, you know... They weren't um, squeamish about violence. They established their empire through violence, kept it that way, and that's, that's, that's who they were. So, so that's a bit of a background kind of on the Babylonians and that, and that part of the passage. So then going forward, back to, back to verse 13 here, here's the question we kind of need to confront and, and, and think about a is, bit. Is, um, why does God do something that he isn't supposed to be able to do? And I think we need to first kind of confront some assumptions um, and blind spots that we might have when we think about this question, and we think about kind of how Habakkuk is asking it. So I think the, the first kind of big assumption that we need to think about um, that Habakkuk has is that um, Habakkuk thinks it's our job to know what God is doing all the time. And, and I think we, we often think this too. Um, You know, Habakkuk says in verse 13 to God, he says, you know, you cannot look at wrong, but you're still, you're still doing that at the same time. And so Habakkuk here, he really, he thinks he knows what God is up to. um, And he says, God, you're doing this, but you, but you shouldn't be. How, how are you doing this? How are you using these bad people? And, and really he, he's asking God what he's doing. So, you know, Habakkuk is he is in a position where he's, you know, he's worried about his people, he's worried what's going to happen, but his response to that in part is to say, you know, God, explain yourself, tell me what you're doing, because I, I need to know. Um, and, and I think we do this all the time, too. I think it's very easy um, to think about God's plan and, and how much we can like it when something good happens, when a new baby is born, or a couple gets married or some kind of blessing comes into your life it's really easy to say god like this must be your plan and that's great and i'm on board and this is wonderful and we don't necessarily ask a lot of questions um i think we need to know kind of the whole the whole, the whole thing what's going on but i think all of a sudden when things are going poorly when something happens in our life that's negative when someone gets sick or someone dies or there is um like a marriage that breaks up or something, something bad happens, we all of a sudden say, like, God, what's going on? What are you doing? And, and I think probably all of us here at times, you know, I have have prayed, you know, God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? Um, you know, how does this fit in this plan? You know, how can you let this happen to me or to us or to these people I love? And again, that, that in a way is us saying, you know, God, Tell us, tell me what you're doing. Like it's my job to know what you're doing and be on top of you, God. So tell me, because I don't understand. Um, and the reality is that that's like that's not right. That's a, that's a wrong assumption by us. It's not our job to know exactly what God's up to and what He's planning and what He's going to do. That's that's God's job. And so that leads us kind of into the second assumption here, which is that we can understand what God is doing. And so. It's interesting in this passage, in in earlier in verse, in in chapter 1, rather, God says to Habakkuk, he says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And then God tells Habakkuk what he's doing right away, and Habakkuk responds with, well, I don't believe that. Like, what's going on? What are you doing? Um, And the reality is that Habakkuk can't understand what God is doing. He knows that it doesn't make sense to him. That it thinks it's wrong, like it can't be right, God. Like there must be, there must be some mistake here. I mean, you, you can't do this, um, but the problem is that is that Habakkuk just can't understand God's plans, and, and the same I think is true for us in lots in lots of instances. I mean, and this is in part because like what Habakkuk struggles with and we struggle with is just that we're human. So Habakkuk is in this world; he's living in the seventh century in Judah, and all he can see. And understand what's in front of him. So he knows the world he lives in, he knows what's going on. He obviously, you know, knows about Egypt who's in charge, and this king who's who's not a great guy, and the Babylonians who are winning these battles and are getting closer and now God is saying are are gonna take us over. He he knows about those things and those are the things that he's worried about, but he can't understand um, other things like like God can. And and that's so that's that's Habakkuk's lens, which is limited. And that's kind of all he can see. And in the same way we have a lens and we're limited. So we can um, you know, we can we can understand what's going on here in Hamilton in Canada in the beginning of the 21st century. We can, you know, be worried about our city, You can be worried about our country, you can be worried about all kinds of things that, that make sense and we we should be concerned about, but we don't know what's gonna happen next week or next year or in hundred years. We certainly, you know, if we ask someone in February twenty twenty what the next 20 months would be like, no one probably would have said that we'd be here wearing masks and would have been at home for what seemed like ages. And, you know, we just only know so much. And as humans, we have these finite minds um, that are limited in the way we understand things. And God just isn't limited in that way. And so just one example of that is is, is time. Um, and, like, we obviously, as humans, are, are subject to time. Like, we're born at a certain time. Time goes forward. It only goes one way. And, and it just goes and goes and goes, and we, we can't do anything about that, and we're we're kind of on that continuum our whole lives. But but God isn't. And um, I, I like this quote from C.S. Lewis from New Christianity where he talks about God in time. He says, Almost certainly God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following one another. If you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel, then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to the parts of the line one by one. We have to leave A." For get to be, and we reach sea until we need to be God, from above, outside, all around, can take the whole and see it all. And I think um, we can't understand what that's like. We can never understand what it would be like to sit outside of time and just look at it, and for God to be able to see that what was going on in Habakkuk's time and going on in our time, to just see them both at the same time and know what's going to happen. There's no way. There's no way we can ever understand what that's like. And so, I mean, that's just one example but the reality is that we we ask God, you know, like God explain this to us. We want to know what's happening. And we think we can understand. And and I'm not saying that there's never times where we glimpses of what God's doing but we should not try to understand what God's doing and, and join him in it. But I think it's a mistake for us to say, God, you know, just explain to me everything that's going on because I can get it and, and I'll be with you. Just give it, you know, just tell me everything. Because the reality is we, we can't think like God can, and we can't grasp things He can, and we're, you know, we're finite in so many ways. We're limited to the time we live in, we're limited to how our brains work, um, and you know God, God created us wonderfully, and the human mind is, is amazing, but, um, but we can't think, think like God does. So, those are the two assumptions I want us to keep in mind, are kind of blind spots that, that Habakkuk has. And then, uh, I want to think about a couple of things we can learn and have a quick second prayer here so the first is kind of related to what we were just talking about but the first is that um, we don't know the full extent of god's plans so this is something that i personally have a really hard time dealing with i don't know if people know me well I know that i like to be like structured and organized and know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day the day after that love it structure is the greatest um <laughs> if, if you're like me but but that just isn't how life goes. Life can be chaotic and things can come up and, and we're not gonna, gonna know where things are going and things will surprise us. So but the reality is, I mean, so if you look at this from, from Habakkuk's point of view again, he is he's concerned about the Chaldeans coming in, he's worried about his people and this invasion, um, and that and that makes a lot of sense. And he's crying out to God and saying, God, like how long are these things going on? How long are these things continue happening in Judah? And and it makes sense he's he's worried about that. Um, and so, so that's, you know, that all makes a lot of sense. But what he doesn't know, we could fill a book with. And that book we could call the New Testament and some of the Old Testament, too. Like, there's just so much happening, and Habakkuk doesn't know what's going to happen um, because he's living when he's living. So, I mean, Habakkuk's worried that the people of God are going to go into exile in Babylon, and that's a hugely legitimate concern. But then he doesn't know that. You know, God's going to use the Babylonian exile and captivity for a reason. He doesn't know that um, God's plan is so much bigger even than the Jewish people. Like, he's not going to live to see that. And God's given him you know, a prophecy into a small part of what's happening in the future, in the next however many years. But he has no idea that Jesus is coming. He doesn't know that God's going to send down, Jesus is going to live a life you know, as a human being, but, um, but be God at the same time and, and initiate God's kingdom here on earth and die and be raised three days later and and fundamentally change how God relates to people so that it's not about being part of a certain nation and, you know, performing sacrifices and doing a bunch of rituals, but that it's about, um, you know, a relationship with God and that we can actually be reconciled to God. Habakkuk knows none of that. So, you know, in the same way, we we know a small piece of what's going on right here, right now. Um, We don't know the future, but we also have no idea what God's going to do in a hundred years or a thousand years. So, you know, as much as there can be times that feel very difficult, we don't know how God is using us or using our neighbors or our friends in this city and in this country and, and for the world um, and what that's going to look like a long, long ways into the future. It's really just just God who knows that. So that's kind of the first thing uh, I want us to take away on that front. The second lesson I want us to think about um, is I want us to think about how to pray like Habakkuk does. So there's a reason that this um, sermon series is called Honest to God. It's very well named. Good job, Mike. Uh, but, but Habakkuk is, isn't afraid to go to God and say, what's going on? I don't understand this. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I don't know what you're doing or what you think you're doing. Um, and, and that's good. Like, I think it's very easy to think you have to go to God and have a very sanitized prayer that says, like, God, you're great. Could you please give me this? That'd be nice. Like we, like it's just it's really easy to think that we have to have things figured out or have our lives together before we go to God in prayer, and that's not at all how it's supposed to be. Like Habakkuk is this great example of going to God when you don't have things figured out, when you're upset, when you're worried about people, um, and, and just going to God right away and laying that on Him, and that's that's how we should pray, and you know, that's something thing we should we should learn from. It. I think it's really easy to kind of want to figure things out ourselves. I think in the West, especially, we're very logical. We want to say, okay, like, God, you're, it looks like you're doing this, so I'm assuming that means this, this, and this, so I'm going to go do this. And we, we want to say, like, I've got it figured out, and we go to prayer and say, okay, God, like I understand. I got it. Okay. At that point, really, like, are we saying we need God anymore, or have we already worked it out ourselves? So, you know, I, I think one of the big lessons here is that um, Habakkuk has been around for a long time. Like, there's, you know, this book is part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We've had it for, for thousands of years. And, and I think it's in the Bible for a reason. And part of that's to teach us that, you know, this is, this is the right way to pray. And there's other ways to pray, too, but it's, but it's right to come before God when you're frustrated or you're angry or you don't understand what he's doing and, and to be honest with him about that. And it's okay to lament um, and have that, that kind of prayer and, and be honest to God. And the last... Um, Takeaway lesson for today is is to learn um, how to have Habakkuk's posture towards God, and there's a couple things uh, built into this. So the first is that you know Habakkuk gets bad news. The stuff that he learns is going to happen is bad, and you know when you're confronted with that, when 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 God tells you that something you know bad is going to happen to your people, um, it's going to happen you know in your lifetime. You know there's there's things you can do, and so. Habakkuk and people like him easily could have kind of cut and run and said, God, like, if that's what you're doing, I do not get it, but I want no part of it. And, like, I'm gone. I'm done. See you later. Um, that'd be very easy to do, right? So the first kind of option is is you could have cut and run and just said, like, I'm done with you. If that's, if that's what you're going to do, I'm done. Um, I think the second thing you could have done is you could have kind of continued on um, with his faith, with his, you know, religion and just kind of done it because he always had and let the inertia of of his past and maybe like his family and his people, the Jewish people just kind of continue and just kind of, you know, still be there but not really be examining what's going on, not wrestling with these big questions, not actually kind of being serious about a faith but just kind of continuing and and, and kind of lapsing. So I think it's not anything he could have done, um, but he doesn't. But I, what he does do is he kind of for lack of a term, he stays in it. He stays with God, and he and he questions again. And, like, you know, there's obviously more of this dialogue that will, will be discussed further into this, this series. But he comes back and says, God, like, what, what's going on? I don't understand. These are who the Chaldeans are. Why would you do this? But then after um, the part we've talked about in verse 12 to 17, at the start of verse 2, um, sorry, at the start of chapter 2, he also says... Um, I will take my stand at the watchpost and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So, I mean, for lack of a way, better way of putting it. Like he's he's staying in there and he's saying, "God, I don't I don't get this. I don't want this." But like I'm here and I'm listening and 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 I'm trying to figure this out. So I think that posture. Um, when we're going through difficult things and of staying in it and wrestling with it and wrestling with god and the hard questions is is huge is a huge lesson we should learn from habakkuk and take uh, into our lives and then the very last um point is um so I, w- I won't skip ahead and and uh take up too much of the book because there's other other people preaching the rest of the series but by the end of this um but this book habakkuk's in a place where he knows hard times are coming he knows things aren't always going to be great um, but he makes a decision to, to rejoice in the Lord anyways, and to praise God anyways, despite the fact that he knows that, that stuff is coming. So this is from um, chapter 3, verses 17 to the start of the 19. I'll just read here. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. i will rejoice in the lord i will take joy in the god of my salvation god the lord is my strength and and you know that isn't born out of like being really naive like that's a choice that habakkuk makes to to take that posture and say god like i i don't get all of this um and this is going to be hard but i still um am going to praise you and and rejoice in you so um, I think we can learn a lot, a lot from that posture, and, and yeah, my prayer would be for today, for us, that when we are struggling with with hard things in our life, or we're struggling with not knowing where God is, God is and things, that that would would be a posture that um, that we would take. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.